Uh, I want to say just a couple of words. Uh, first of all, we are all sensitive about this series applying to some more than others, and we understand that uh, when you talk to people who are not married about marriage, it's sometimes difficult. And I understand that. I want to be very careful to be considerate of that. In light of that, a couple of things I want to say. First thing I want to say is a lot of what we talk about in marriage relationships is appropriate for other relationships as well. In order to have good relationships, whether it's within the marriage or whether it's uh, parent-children, whether it is employee-employer, uh, no matter what the relationship, a big part of what we're going to talk about applies to that. Second thing I want to say is after the first service this morning, a, uh, a widow came up to me and she said, I just want to say something. And I said, what is that? She said, in one way that doesn't apply to me, but in a lot of ways it does. Because every day I'm around people who are married. I have children who are married. I have friends who are married. And it's my role as a Christian to help them to do it better. Thank you for helping me uh, to help them. That uh, wave hit me too. And so uh, I appreciated that an awful lot because she understood the nature of this and she understood that hopefully it will be helpful. I've got a lot to do, so I'm going to run quickly. I just about lost my voice in the first time, so let's see if we can uh, make a run at this. We want to start in Genesis 2, verses 19 to 24. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they became one flesh. You know what he said here? What God says here in the beginning of Genesis is, He made Adam, and He gave him the perfect place to live, and He gave him the animals and relationships there, but it wasn't enough. And I understand that. My mom and dad were married a long time, and in 2005, my mom died. I enjoy the fact that I'll take calves over to my dad's house. He's got enough property in his backyard for me to take some calves that need to be weaned over there, and he loves and enjoys those calves. He, he talks to me about which one's growing more and which one looks good and this and that, and he gets a lot of pleasure in that. But it's not the same. It is so not the same as when my mom was his companion. Why is it not the same? Because when God gave us marriage, He gave us a blessing, oftentimes beyond our ability to understand. And that's why we are discussing this. I want you to think about those great marriages you know. You know, I can think, I always think of the same three or four couples here when I present lessons like this or when I uh, work with, uh, with churches or couples. 
And I talk about those wow marriages. There are three or four of you that I think of, and I'm not going to tell you who you are. I expect that some of the ones that I think of are some of the ones that you all think of. Those wow marriages that you can spot a great uh, distance away. And I want you to think about what in their relationship stands out. What couple having been married more than five years do you know that has this marriage? What stands out? What do you notice? What is obvious? And why when we see any couple over 30 years of age who holds hands, do we do a double take? It's kind of like, what are they doing wrong? Hmm. It's kind of like newlyweds. It's kind of like, what's up with them? Why do we do that? Because the minority of marriages that maintain that wow relationship I'm afraid truly is a a minority. When marriage begins, everything is wonderful. We all have that thought. Ours will be different. We can handle anything. Our love will never die. Nothing will ever come between us. And on this day, it is so good. I tell people sometimes that premarital counseling is like trying to teach a five-year-old the tax code. And the ones who laughed are the ones who've been married a while, right? Well, when I have a couple downstairs or in my office and I'm doing premarital counseling, they have this look in their eye. And it just doesn't do a bit of good. (laughs) No, I hope it does some good. But the truth of the matter is probably the best thing I can help them with is to be real with them, to establish a relationship with them so that when they get into the tax code and they find out how difficult and how complex it is, Maybe Tina and I can be there for them to help them through that. Over time, we go from this, some of us do, to this. (laughs) Now, what's going on there? I've used that before. What's going on there? Well, sometimes things change. And if we grow old together, what will our front porch picture look like? Will it look like this? Or will it look like this? Now, I always give my disclaimer because every time I use this picture, I fear that someone's grandson is in the audience. And I have no idea who these people are. I expect they have been married for many years and have a great relationship. But you don't look at them and go, wow, what a relationship, right? You just don't do that. They are part of that uh, generation where things are a little less shared, I expect. But this is how we want to wind up. Do you see them snuggling? I don't see them as newlyweds. And with this couple, when you look at them, what do you see? Well, if your thought is like mine the first time I saw this picture, you may be thinking, oh, their spouses died and they've just found each other. (laughs) They're dating. Or maybe they're newlyweds. Because you don't see people who have been married as long as people of their age are married looking at each other like this. Oh, yes, you do. Because I've seen some of you have that look in your eye. And I know that you've been married that long. Therefore, it is possible. But we have to make it happen. It's not going to happen just by coming to four lessons. What is the normal marriage? Life's demands replace the best friend relationship. And so often we grow into coexistence. 
And I'll say today that maintaining a marriage is like maintaining a relationship. If you don't work at it, it's not going to work very long. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing this. To remind us of what's important so we can match our life better with what our priorities are. But what causes this to not be the case? And what I want to do as I go through this and the stage that I want to set as we begin this is it is the case that all of us who are married for any period of time go from that high cloud to drifting into that stage of coexistence because life takes us there. I do not know a couple that has been married for any length of time that doesn't get to a point where life is taking that relationship from them and this and that replaces it. And what happens is it becomes a matter of whether or not we realize that things are pulling us here and there to the point that we take ourselves back to where we want it and our relationship to be. In the normal marriage, the newness of the relationship wears off. We have jobs and we have careers and then children come along. And oh, how that changes things. You know, I'm excited about our uh, first grandson that uh, will, grandson or daughter, I already have in mind it's going to be a boy. uh, And they don't know and don't want to know. But I know, but we'll see. (laughs) But in October... Our child, uh, our grandchild will be here, and as Carter and I were going to Atlanta last week, I said, son, one of my prayers is that I would live long enough to see you try to be a dad. Because you had it figured out when I was right and when I was wrong, and this is going to be fun to watch. And he kind of looked at me a little bit uh, nervously and didn't say anything. But we had a couple hours for the Braves game Saturday afternoon, and I went one direction, he went another to the Galleria, and so when we got back together, I asked him, I said, where'd you go? He said, I went to uh, Toys R Us, and I said, really, what'd you do there? He said, I went back to the baby bed section, and I said, really, why? And he said, I thought maybe if I walked around in there long enough, I would be convinced that this is about to happen. I said, did it work? He said, no. (laughs) Well... He realizes that this is going to change their lives. And our prayer is that it will be a great change. But you know, it is a big change. The normal relationship usually goes through financial challenges. And we are such a materialistic society, we don't have any idea to what degree that affects us. And how we always want more. It is the case that the normal relationship involves changes. Tina and I are very different people than we were when we were 22 years old and got married. Our likes are very different. Had she told you or somebody told her that she'd live on a farm and raise cattle a few years later, she would say you were talking to the wrong person. Oh, we change. And sometimes spiritual stagnation sets in, and we'll talk more about that later. Life's burdens come. And what are the results so often of these things taking our relationship from us, I see over and over again. As we drift into coexistence, men turn to hobbies and oftentimes jobs for primary fulfillment in life. And women turn to their children for their primary fulfillment in life. That's the reason the empty nest is so difficult for so many couples. 
Because husbands and wives have lost their best friend relationship. They have grown into coexistence. He may live for golf on Saturday or Sunday. She lives to be with the children. And when they go off to college and that last one goes, her relationships that were meaningful to her are not everyday relationships. But I want to tell you, when you can learn to be best friends and maintain that best friend relationship, empty nest is a good thing, not a bad thing. It truly is. And oh, how we want that. Sometimes friendships in this normal relationship become more desired and important. In the normal relationship, as this process takes place, oftentimes husbands and wives become increasingly self-centered and carry grudges. And whether they say it or not, they make comparisons wishing my spouse were like her or my spouse were like him. So what is the process that we're talking about? We go from floating on this cloud. We can live on love. Doesn't matter how much we make. As long as we have some place to live, we'll be happy. And then life sets in. And the daily demands come. We have bills. And, well, my family did it this way. And my family did it this way. The career ladder, job changes, sometimes moves. And sometimes when my mother wants us to, or my dad wants us to, and all of these things start putting pressure. And then children come along. And on this day, everything is just absolutely tremendous. Oh, this little bundle of joy is going to bless our lives so much. Nothing is going to be better and ball games and activities and homework and sometimes disabilities. And then the teenage years. And in fact, do you think they're thinking about what teenage years are going to be like? <laughs> and even if they did, do you think they could understand? I don't think so. But so often this normal relationship takes us to a place of coexistence. And the way of determining if that's us or not is by asking the question, do we feel like best friends? Do we still feel like best friends? So many have loss of mutual interest. Jobs. They get to the place where they'd rather talk to co-workers or friends than one another. And therefore frustration and resentment and a significant lack of fulfillment sets in. And so many times I deal with people downstairs who are at this place. Now, I want to share something that we have seen in the last 20 years, in fact, in the last few years involving the last 20 years. You may have seen on the news recently, and in fact, this study really came out in July of 2016, what is called gray divorce. And this matter of gray divorce shows that since 1990, and for those of us 50 or older, it doesn't seem that long ago, since 1990, the divorce rate of couples who are 50 years or older has doubled. Since 1990. And so researchers are asking the question, why? What's going on? Why are older people divorcing? You know why I believe? Before I saw this study, I had looked at and studied and walked enough people through some process and seeing this drifting into coexistence, and that's exactly what this study is. It's that we get tired of each other, that we quit trying, that we look to other things and other people for relationships. And in this study, 
we see these statements. And in fact, the number one reason, the top five reasons of why the gray divorce is increased, increasing the way it is. Number one reason, wear and tear. The process that leads to gray divorce isn't typically a sudden event or trigger, says Stan Tatkin, author of Wired for Love. Rather, it often happens slowly over time. It's like an unbreakable plate you drop drop repeatedly, he says. The relationship develops micro-cracks inside the structure you can't see. Then it finally reaches a critical mass and shatters. Wear and tear, he calls it. And I don't want you to beat yourself up right now. What I want to say is... If you feel like that's us, what I want to tell you is, I think we all wade into that at some level. We all get to that point where at times we feel like we have lost our best friend relationship. And again, I don't want you to beat yourself up for that. I want you to realize the process and let's pull us back to what we want. That's the reason we're doing this. You know what the third reason out of the top five was for gray divorces? Boredom. Boredom. Steve Seibold, a psychological performance and mental toughness coach and author of 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class, cites boredom as a factor. Being around the same person 24 24 hours, 7 days a week, depending on the relationship, can lead to boredom, he says. In other cases, people stop trying. You work hard, play hard, and take care of business, but you've stopped being the attentive Attractive spouse. You've allowed yourself to become complacent. And another statement regarding this gray divorce matter is this. You must put the relationship first. You should be about protecting each other in harsh environments and have each other's back. You must become experts for each other and protect each other in private and public and never threaten the relationship. In addition, Tatkin says couples should have a strong sense of why they are together. Know the purpose that you serve as a couple. Now, we know why God put us together. We've got to protect it. We've got to do the right things. So, do you want a great marriage? If so, how badly? Now, this is my good friend Rich Brown. Rich teaches at Harding. Rich... Several years ago, ran marathons, and now he runs 100-mile trail runs. This last Thursday, he signed up for the Arkansas Traveler, which in October will be the next 100-mile trail run. That's amazing. Under 24 hours. When Rich first came to Freed Hardman and he was running marathons, Rich and I are really good friends, and I would be his biggest fan in a way. And I would say, man, I wish I could do that. Boy, I wish I could do that. And Rich would say, do you? (laughs) Do you really? And after a few weeks or maybe months of him telling me, if you want it badly enough, get up at 4 o'clock with me and we'll hit the road. I decided I didn't really want it that badly. Now what I want to say today is everybody can look at somebody who wears out a piano and plays it so beautifully and say, I wish I could play. Everybody sees the athletes on television and says, I wish I could do it. It's so easy for us to hear this wow marriage concept 
this morning and go, that's what I want. My question for you is, will you create the mindset right now to do more than just want it? How important is it to you? Important enough to work at, to change our priorities, our schedules, to tell people no, to pray together about it. And I want to play a video clip for you real quick that shows you how people who do it right truly can be fulfilled in the process. I don't count it a burden whatever to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything. Um, clean her teeth, uh, shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year where we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo and I can still smell it because that smell was so particular, so nice, it's just absolutely special. We had a bike, I used to ride everywhere on my bike and then Glad had a bike as well and we put a baby chair on the front of her bike and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05 I began to notice uh, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that bike. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally and I understand that God has put his love in my heart and because I realise how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, you know, no. no not at all. We love each other. So, do you feel sorry for him? Seems pretty fulfilled, doesn't he? Uh, he has learned to appreciate 
what it means to be a giver in that relationship. What I want to do, and I'm going to run through this really quickly, but in these last few minutes, I want to talk about what it looks like to do it God's way. It is the case that Satan has waged war against Christian families and especially marriages. And he does take two people so many times who want to do it his way and turn, turns them into people who coexist. I love this statement by C.S. Lewis. Lewis had an interesting story. Didn't marry until late in life. Wound up marrying his housekeeper because she was an illegal alien and was about to be deported. And they decided the only way that he could keep her as his housekeeper was to marry her so that her status would be legal and she could stay. And that's exactly what they did. However, what they didn't expect to happen, happened. And that is in the process they went from being friends to loving each other to husband and wife. And Lewis said, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but are increased. I will tell you, I know of nothing that is emphasized and fulfilled in a greater way by putting God in the middle of it than marriage. And what I would say is, if marriage is not what it ought to be, maybe we need to start on our relationship with God. We turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to focus on verse 21. We jump quickly as we teach on marriage to 22 and 25, where wives are to submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. And husbands are to love the wives as Christ loved the church. But go back to verse 21. We don't talk about that one. Submit yourselves one to another. Almost three years ago when I performed the ceremony for Carter and Allison, I began by, saying, by looking at Carter, my son, and saying, Carter, you are to submit to Allison. And I expect people in the audience with he must have read his notes wrong. I didn't read them wrong at all. And then I looked to Allison and I said, Allison, you are to submit to Carter. Why? Because that's what Paul says. What he was saying is, give yourself up one for the other. And I say that not to erase the roles that God gave us within the family for the husband to be head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And for wives to be in submission in that role to the husband... But this matter of submitting one to another, giving ourselves up for the other, is God's way. I'll run through these. Look quickly at the description of the family that's a family of God. Proverbs 12 and verse 4, the wife is noble. Proverbs 31 verse 10, who can find this woman who is so noble and so godly? Her value is beyond what we can count. Her husband is respected at the gates. Verse 23, her children praise their mother because she deserves it. And in Psalm 128, verses 1 to 4, verse 1, those who do it God's way are truly blessed. And what we want to do is look at the contrast. If Satan had his way this morning, if Satan had his way this morning, 
He would take each one of our marriages and put them in the divorce court. He would take every one of our marriages and put it in the divorce court. Why? That's what He wants. That's His plan. What is God's plan versus Satan's plan? God hates divorce. Satan loves divorce. God tells us that in Malachi 2 and verse 16. In Matthew 19 verse 8, Jesus said, It's not what God intended. And think about how much it hurts. Number two, God's plan focuses on emphasizing my spouse's needs where Satan's plan focuses on me getting everything I can. It's all about me. That's a very big difference. And as my mother used to say from Matthew 7 verse 12, doing to others as you would have them doing to you. In this verse from Acts 20 and verse 35, where Luke quotes Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you sleep better at night when you have spent the day doing something for somebody else? Or when somebody else has done something for you? Especially as parents. Why do you look forward to Christmas? Do you look forward to Christmas because you can't wait to open the gifts your children give to you? It's not it. I look forward to Christmas because I look forward to seeing Carter and Haley and Will and Allison and little Carter or Allison in a few months opening what I give to them. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And in the marriage relationship, we are more blessed when we do it God's way than when we try to take care of ourselves. God's plan versus Satan's plan. God's plan brings about fulfilled relationships. Satan's plan brings about relationships that are never good enough. Think about the Hollywood marriage where it's all, it all seems to be based on looks. And even the most gorgeous, the most beautiful, the most handsome, after a while that's still not good enough. But I want you to think with me about that couple who's been married 60 years and they still hold hands and they still talk about the little lady and the big man. And you look at them and you go, wow, you want to talk beauty. That's real beauty. God's plan versus Satan's plan. God's plan provides for openness, transparency, honesty, no deception. Satan's plan involves turning the computer away where she can't see. Or text messages or phone calls from just a co-worker that I enjoy hearing from. It involves buying something that maybe costs a little more than it should have and hiding that from him or from her. It involves doing this and that. It involves this deceitful way of thinking where, well, she wouldn't understand. Or he wouldn't understand. The the road that that takes us to is a bad, bad place. That's what Satan does to us if we let us. If we let him. James 5 and verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. This concept, while not often used in marriage, this concept of being open with each other is so big. And so many marriages result in a great lack of sharing. So what are these challenges? What keeps us from putting God first in our marriage? Number one, at least that I'll list, 
It's when one is significantly stronger spiritually than the other. We'll talk more about this as we go, but I want to say one thing here. And that is, it is a normal thing for a couple to be at different places in their relationship with God. For those of us who've been married, some of us, and I'll I'll openly tell you, there have been times in our marriage when, when I've been the spiritual leader in the family, and there have been a lot of times in our marriage where Tina was the cheerleader spiritually. I know how difficult it is when one is the spiritual leader and the other one doesn't help and support. The spiritual leader has a tremendous burden. And here's what I want to say. If you're hearing this and you're going, yeah, that's me. I'm not the spiritual leader in our family. What I want to say is what your spouse is doing is burdensome. You don't have to be where they are spiritually, but help them. Help them. Try to remove that burden. Second challenge is being busy. Blows me away that we can do things in a tenth of the time that our grandparents did them, but they were the ones that sat on the front porch on Sunday afternoon and rocked. What happened? We get so busy. Challenge number three, we don't pray together. It may be this morning that as you hear this, you go, the thought of praying together is so uncomfortable. We're a far piece from that. Well, we want to work on that. Sometimes the challenge of having double standards. I look like I love God on Sunday, but during the week it doesn't look like that. We cannot serve God and Satan at the same time. A challenge to us doing it God's way, I'll just call this life. Pulling so strongly. A challenge of being spiritual and going to God in our marriage together. Falling in the ruts of going through the motions. Oh, we're so good at that. It's so easy for me to bow my head and close my eyes and not a bit more go to the throne of God than anything. Why? Because we get so good at going through the motions. So what are some suggestions as we close this lesson today? Suggestions for putting God in the center of our marriage because we see what happens when we don't. Number one, find time every day somehow to go to God together. Tina and I love this book, Quiet Times for Couples by Norman Wright. He's such a great writer. Had the opportunity to spend a little time with him at a conference, one of the last ones we went to. Such a neat man. What's so neat about this book is it's a two or three minute read. It's not anything that's going to require you to commit to an extra hour a day that you don't have. It's not anything that's going to be burdensome. It's a quick read based every time on Scripture. And what it does is enable the two of you to be spiritual together every day. That's so very important. Second thing is pray together. And again, some of you are not there. If I charge you and I am to go home and before this day is over to hold each other's hand and pray together, some of you are thinking right now, that's awkward. We can't do that. Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, help us to want it. Help us to pray together, to learn how to figure it out. It's so very special. Tonight when we go to bed, for me to hear Tina say, God, thank you for Barry. That means something. 
I'm good. Give me a second. You see, when we strengthen our relationship with God, and when we do that through prayer, it changes things. Suggestion number three, be transparent. We'll talk more about this in one of the later lessons, how important it is to be able to be transparent. I'll give you an example real quick. Peek ahead. You know how neat it is to be able to say, what are you thinking? And to have such a relationship that you know that they will tell you. Have you ever wished you could read your spouse's mind? Are you glad you can't? <laughs> it's pretty neat to be able to say, what are you thinking? Or maybe, are you mad at me? And know that if they are, you're going to know. Well, this whole matter of just ask, this whole matter of having a relationship where we can be transparent, is something that so many don't have. Oh, how important it is. We'll talk more about that. If you're not close to God and you want your marriage better, you don't have to be an Apostle Paul. You don't have to be the most faith-driven person in the world because God understands that we are at different places, even at different points in our lives. And that's why He said in James 4 and verse 8, Draw nine to me and I will pull you to me. Flee the devil, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love the fact that God says, I will take you where you are if you reach toward me and I will pull you hard. Maybe the first step today is to reach out to God. So, our goal for the next three weeks now is to not have a marriage of coexistence, but a marriage that is built around God. A marriage where we put each other first. A marriage that when others see us, they go, wow. And you know what? For those of us that are parents, other than teaching them God, there is nothing better than we can do to help them to be happy and fulfilled in life later than to teach them what to look for in your future son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Will you coexist or will you have this marriage? It won't just happen. And here are the topics that we're going to look at in the next three weeks. Next week, we will look at fulfilling each other's needs and what that means. We will discuss maintaining a best friend relationship, honesty, trust, openness, dealing with conflict and differences, and protecting our marriage. I hope that it will be helpful. If you're not yet a child of God, then why not today? Make sure your relationship with Him is what it ought to be. Come putting Him on in the Son on in baptism, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus to be the Messiah. If you've fallen away, Maybe where you need to start today to make your marriage stronger is by asking for the prayers of the church. If you need us to pray for you, if we can help in any way, please come. Why to get it?